Well, uh, if you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and open it to the book of Luke. Let's see if I can get my, my notes there. We'll be in Luke chapter 10, and uh, I'm trying to wrap up our series that, that we're in. Luke chapter 10. Let me ask a question before we get into the, the message. Have you ever had a moment uh, in your life, and don't, don't shake your head or raise your hands, just kind of affirm in your soul if this is true or not. Have you ever had a moment where um, your uh, skin color affected the way people treated you in the room or in the environment that you were in? Have you ever, have you ever experienced that? Uh, I think I think some of us have many many of us have I know I know I've had a few um, uh, that that come to mind two that that I'll just share right off the bat one is uh, I think I said this about a year ago but uh, I was at Walmart and uh, we're we're kind of checking out and we're walking out the door and I, I don't know if if this is true of the WalMarts that you go to but when I go to Walmart sometimes there's a guy doing the receipt checking and sometimes there isn't there's like no rhyme or reason uh, but it, it, like you get the one who's like he's strict on it he's going to stop everybody and you get the other ones like I don't even know why I'm here, go ahead and steal whatever you want. Uh, that's not true. They're not quite that lax. And so I'm, I'm getting checked out, and now there's this line back up at the receipt checker guy, and the, the re- receipt checker guy is checking everybody, and in front of me, I'm number three of these four people, and there's people stacking up behind me, but, but number one is a black family, number two is a Mexican family, then there's me, a single white guy, and then there's a black family behind me. So you understand, we have the whole rainbow, the whole United Nations walking out uh, Walmart at this time. And uh, he checks the receipt on number one. He looks at it. He looks in the basket. He does like a little rifling through the basket. He's like, you're good to go. You go ahead. And then number two comes in and she, he checks the receipt of her and he looks at her. He looks at the basket. Doesn't really pay attention. Doesn't rifle through it, but just kind of sends her on his way. And he gets to me and he says, oh, you go ahead. I have the receipt in my hand. You know, I'm like, no, here. He goes, oh, you're fine. You're, you're good. And I go, I, I turn around and I'm confused. And I turn around and I'm kind of confused. And I look at the black family behind me and he stops them. He's like, I need to see your receipt. And I look at the guy, the dad. I'm, I'm confused. And he looks at me confused. And I just kind of do a shrug. Like, I don't know what just happened. And he's like, I don't know what just happened either. And I walked away feeling like that was weird. I would feel really out of place. Well, I did feel really out of place as me. I'm sure everybody in that group was like, what just happened? I, I don't know. It, it seemed, now I could be wrong, maybe maybe like the walkie-talkie guy and the security footage had been doing other things saying, hey, check these few people, but it just felt weird to me, and it felt like it felt like it was just a little difference based on how one looks. I had another experience when I was in college. Um, I'm 18 years old. Uh, I'm adulting for the first time. Uh, I was the best adulter of anybody who's ever adulted. Uh, and I get a flat tire. I get outside and I have a flat tire on my car, but I know how to change a tire. I'm, I'm, I'm handy in that way. Uh, and so I jack the car up. I take the flat tire off. I put the donut tire on and I drive off and I realize I I'm in Dallas. I've lived here for a week now. I don't know where to go to get a tire. So I go to like the local tire. Like you just, this is before you could just Google things on your phone. So I'm just, you know, I have to get my maps quest out and print it out, but, but I'm going to figure out where you get a tire. And I go to this tire place and listen, tires are expensive. I am embarrassed that I've ever peeled out in a car ever because like it, they are crazy expensive and I'm 18 and I'm in college and I don't have any money, but I have a roommate who's like, Hey man, I can, I can get you hooked up. Like I'll, I'll ride with you. I'll show, I'll show you where it's at. Just tell me where it's at. No, no, no. I'll ride with you. You go. And so he said, he's going to take me to this used tire store in Dallas. So I'm, I'm, I'm tickled. Like, yes, cheap tires. I'm learning my way around Dallas. It's great. And, uh, I pull, uh, into this neighborhood and I say, I say, okay, well, where am I going? He goes, listen to me right now. Don't you ever come to this neighborhood without me. 
I said, I said, why? He goes, just trust me. And so we pull up to the next red light and people are hollering at me. Hey boy, come here. I want to talk to you. And he's like, don't worry about it. Just keep going. Hands on the wheel, just eyes forward. And we go through, I'm telling you guys, like it is, it is, it is the hood of Dallas. Great tire sales though. <laughs> and so we, we get in there and uh, my roommate Kennedy, he is a six, five, six, six black man. He gets out of the car and everybody just like relaxed all of a sudden because Kennedy's out. And then I get out and he goes, go, go talk to the guy. And he goes, go just talk to the guy. And I get a tire. It's really weird. And he tells me, he says, if you're not black, don't come into this neighborhood alone. So, okay. I trust you, Kennedy. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. We're, it's weird because uh, I've experienced moments where where racism and skin color mattered, um, and many of you have as well. Even though I told you not to shake your heads, I saw you doing that. That's fine. You know, I appreciate the affirmation. Um, but but we live in a world where we try to pretend that that isn't an issue. We want it to not be an issue so bad, and we feel like maybe if we fake it, we'll make it right. Um, it turns out there's some racism in the Bible, and so what we want to do is I want to look at the story of the Good Samaritan um, with you. And nobody, nobody gasped when I said that. So, so it, it's obvious to me that you don't know that we're supposed to hate the Samaritans. Okay. So, so we'll talk about that here in a moment. Why Jesus used the parable of the Good Samaritan. But let me, let me uh, set up where, where we've been and, and what I'm hoping to accomplish. Uh, we're in the middle of this accidental series, uh, called, uh, Gospel Tune-Ups that, that it seems to be that the average Christian doesn't need to learn a new thing to follow. They just need to be reminded of the old things to be obedient to. And then, then we, oh, of course, the gospel. And so we've been looking at a series of those. I was supposed to finish that last week. This week, I was going to look at the great commandment. Um, and then in looking at the great commandment, I find that one of the uh, versions, we end up in the in the Good Samaritan story. And so like, we're just going to continue the, the gospel tune-ups, and next week we'll look at the rest of it. Um, but but what we've done for the last few weeks is, one, we just looked at the basics of the gospel. And we said that, that you should be not just remembering way back 10, 15, 20 years ago in VBS when you heard the gospel and confessed. You should be preaching the gospel to yourself every day. The gospel to yourself every day says that the wages of sin is death. So I should, I should try to live a more holy life. Sure, I have forgiveness in Christ, but that doesn't give me freedom to just go on sinning. I should, I should avoid that. Why? Because it brings death into my life. It brings, it brings death and destruction to those uh, around me. So we preach the gospel to ourselves. We preached the gospel to ourselves when we took the Lord's Supper just a moment ago, that, that despite what you felt like coming in, maybe, maybe you had an argument with your spouse on the way in, and I don't know anybody that did. And if you're like giggling right now, you're telling on yourself, okay? Uh, and you get here and you think, I don't feel like I'm in the worship mode, but it's not about your feelings because the cross has already accomplished so, so much. You can come and actually force yourself into worship. The gospel says there is therefore now no condemnation who are in Christ Jesus. And so, so we don't, we don't get to walk around condemning ourselves or condemning other image bearers of God because that's not our job. And the gospel says it's not true. We, we looked at love and the importance of loving one another, that, that in loving, uh, one another, we can, we can, uh, lay down our lives for one another and express the gospel to them. And then the following week after that, we looked at community. We looked at this idea that you were never meant to figure out how to do life alone. The American dream says, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, worship God on your own. You'll figure it out. You'll be fine, sweetie. Uh, but the gospel says you really need to be around other people. The things that you were gifted to do is different than the things that they were gifted to do. And together you compensate for each other's weaknesses. You meet each other in your weaknesses and serve one another. And then last week we looked at discipleship and we talked about imitators and examples. The, the idea of a disciple is that they're copying someone. 
one. You know, ideally, we're copying Jesus. We should be, uh, if you don't have somebody in your life that is worth copying, you, you need to add a friend to your life. You need to go on a recruitment. Go speed date some friends, figure out the most godly person, and say, I'm going to copy you for a while. I'm going to learn to look at life the way that you look at, look at life. I'm going to learn to talk to my spouse the way that you talk to your spouse. I'm going to learn to treat my kids the way you treat your kids. I'm just going to copy you. And then as you do that, and as you practice this life, you should also become an example to those who are coming up under you, younger than you in faith, that they need you as an example. And the reason why I'm continuing with the series is because as I was preparing for next week's series, or what would have been this week, the, the Good Samaritan has all of those elements in it. And uh, I want to unpack them together. So uh, let's see where we're at in the conversation, then I'll explain Samaria here in a moment. We're going to start in verse 25, chapter 10, Luke 10, verse 25. Uh, it begins with, and behold, a, a lawyer stood up. And everybody grumbles because you can't trust a, a lawyer. No, that's not true. Lawyers are great. Uh, a lawyer uh, stood up uh, to put him to the test. Here's a man who is at a meal, and Jesus is there, and he has the great idea, I'm going to trap Jesus with a puzzle. Yes, I'm going to put Jesus to the test, and then Jesus is going to embarrass himself, and then I'm going to look super duper smart, and everybody's going to like me. Um, I, if you've never read this story before, you should have like red, like foreshadowing light bulbs of like, this is going to end badly for our boy, the lawyer, right? Uh, it will. Like Jesus, Jesus takes care of uh, this embarrassing moment. He stood up to put Jesus to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's a simple question. Uh, it's kind of a selfish question. If you, if you look at it just on its merit, I think sometimes we do this with God. Hey God, what do I have to do to get all of your blessings and then move along? The, the, the question itself is wrong. Uh, and so this man, he's asking Jesus this question, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus does a very Jesus-y thing. He answers a question with a question, of course. And so he said to him, verse 26, what is written in the law, question mark? How do you read it? So he puts it back on him. So the lawyer who is going to trap Jesus is now forced to like make his stance. Because if he says, I don't know, that's why I asked, he's a dummy, which is completely the opposite of what he's wanting to do. He's trying to look really smart. And so he has to give an answer. And so here's his answer. Verse 27, and he answered, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That is a really good answer. Let, let me break this apart real quick. Uh, the, the first part, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. He's basically quoting uh, a piece of the Old Testament called the Shema. It is something that every young Jew would have learned from, from coming up. They quote it every day. They have, they have the Shema like, like stapled to the inside of their doorframe that when you come in, you would see like a, you guys have like Bible verses hanging in your house anywhere? You do? Like, uh, as for me in my house, I'll worship the Lord. It's like posted somewhere. And then, you know, you have another verse somewhere. It's the same idea. They've been doing this all the way into the Old Testament. They'd have the Shema posted. Oh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And it would say this, that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our mind, with all of our soul. And so, so he quotes the Shema. That was going to be the big, I was supposed to be in week one of that series. So next week, we're going to look at the first part of what is called the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your strength. But let's see how he continues. He says, uh, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And, and just, just so we, this is coming out of the lawyer's mouth, but look at Jesus. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. 
And so Jesus hears the lawyer's response, love the Lord your God with everything you've got. Let's just summarize it for today's purposes that, that loving God, your worship of God, shouldn't be compartmentalized to just Sunday mornings. And it shouldn't be just compartmentalized to your church friends. That loving the Lord your God, to do it right, is to have this holistic, it, it breaches all the walls of the compartments of your heart, and you love the Lord your God with every aspect, every fiber of who you are, and you learn how to do that. That's what it means to grow in the Lord. We'll begin that series next week. And then he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yeah, you're right. That pretty much sums up everything. See, it's helpful to have a little shorthand on the Bible because uh, your Bible, my Bible, 66 books long. It's a lot of pages. Right now, I'm on page 971 of my Bible. It's a lot. It would be helpful if someone could just summarize the whole thing. I'll learn it more uh, as I have time, but you're, you're in a rush, and maybe you're just trying out church for the first time. Um, what, could someone just sum up this whole book for me? Yes. Love God. Love people as yourself. Love God with everything you have and love people as yourself. Thank you. That sums it up. And Jesus is like, yeah, that pretty much sums up everything I'm here to do. Um, one thing that is fascinating to me in, in the, the man's response is that we remember that we're to love one another. In fact, we taught on it just a few weeks ago in our gospel tune-ups. But it's that last little tagline that we forget. Love others how? How should we love others? As yourself. And what I seem to see in, in just talking with people isn't a, a generalized love for oneself. And I, I'm, I'm just in my one generation. I, I haven't been alive 100 years. Maybe it was different 100 years ago. But it just seems to me that young people pretty much hate themselves right now. Everything that, that, that TV shows, everything that is on, on, on every commercial, every product that they're trying to sell you, they're like, you should hate yourself until you buy Dove face lotion. And then you'll love yourself, right? You, you should hate yourself until you get this one truck, this one car, and vroom, vroom, you're a big, tough person, and now you, you, you love yourself. It seems to be that maybe, uh, we'll, we'll steer into the rest of the Good Samaritan here in a second, but it seems to be maybe that some of us don't need to be reminded to love one another as ourselves, uh, because we are. I hate myself and I'm angry with this guy. I am, I am, I'm, uh, the, the psychological term is I'm projecting my feelings onto them. I'm so eager to beat myself up that I take it out on this guy who's a weaker version. I see myself in him and because I don't like me, I'm going to treat them poorly. Maybe Christian, uh, you don't need another sermon about loving other people. You need another sermon about forgiving yourself. If Jesus forgave you, if the cross was enough for God to forgive you in the shedding of the blood, then why do we carry our own guilt and our own shame day by day? It makes us angry, but the anger fuels us. The, the fire in our belly is what wakes us up to get us working. And though it got us through the day and we accomplished things and we got the applause of our boss, we go home full of self-hate and self-regret. And the gospel was meant to answer to that. The lawyer, to, to answer Jesus, you shall love the Lord your God with everything you've got, and you shall love your neighbors yourself. And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, you've got that right. But, you know, the lawyer, remember, he wasn't asking Jesus a, a valid question. He was putting him to the, the test. And so this isn't good. He got me. I answered his question for him. He got me. And so verse 29, but he desiring to justify himself. Can we just agree that anytime you have a desire to justify yourself, it's time to just keep your mouth shut, right? Every parent in the room is like, yes, that's when my kids get into the most trouble, right? So, so desiring to justify themselves is like shoveling the ground. Do I say it? Do I say it? 
This brother says that he digs another hole and he just throws the dirt over his back and he's digging that hole deeper. He, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, oh, well, who is my neighbor? <laughs> gotcha. Like, what am I supposed to do? Just love the guy on both sides of my house? That can't be what that means, right? Who is my neighbor? This man, this lawyer, what he wanted to do is what sometimes I want to do and maybe you find yourself wanting to do is that he wanted to take this very simple principle and just tell me how, how, how little I have to do to accomplish that. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, yes, go and do that. And the man goes, right, right, right. So like, how many neighbors do I have? Like, can I just love the two people on either side of me and that be enough? We want to sometimes take the freedom that God has given us and just like whittle it down to the lowest, bare, minimum, common denominator and just do that. And Jesus, he just doesn't have time for it. Jesus's response to this man's like whittling down uh, is the story that you and I know as the Good Samaritan. And so let's pause before we, we read that and just understand why this was just such a genius move for Jesus. One is uh, the heading in my Bible says the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you have your paper Bible up, does it say something about the Good Samaritan up at the top? Um, in, in American legal system, we even have taken the principle of the Good Samaritan and we've applied it to laws or Good Samaritan laws that protect you if you do what you can to help someone. And, you know, they, they stump their toe. You're like pulling someone out of a burning house fire and they stump their toenail. Uh, they can't sue you for the toenail because it's a Good Samaritan law. It protects you. Uh, is that right, lawyer? Can you yeah, know? You know, the lawyer is saying, don't, don't take my legal advice. So thank you, Stephen. Uh, go see Stephen for all of your legal uh, needs. I'm pretty sure there's some Good Samaritan laws that uh, reflect something similar to that. Uh, before Jesus uh, gave this parable, there was no such thing as a quote-unquote Good Samaritan. Uh, everybody hated the Samaritans. The only people who didn't hate the Samaritans were, guess, the Samaritans, that's right, you don't hate yourself. And so when Jesus says to, as an answer, like, who am I supposed to love? Who, who's my neighbor? And he breaks into this parable called the Good Samaritan. This, this makes all the people's t stomach turn like, what? How did the Samaritans become the hero? Let me tell you why. And this is why none of you guessed, because you don't know how much like they hated the Samaritans. Um, if you rewind the clock, Jesus is at a fixed point in time, let's say AD 31, okay, something like that. If you rewind the clock almost 800 years, there was no Samaria. There were no Samaritans in the world. They didn't exist. Um, if you rewind the clock to 800 years, what you would see is that Israel, uh, the northern kingdom, has already been been taken into exile, and Ju Judah, uh, Judea, at, at the bottom, uh, is about to go into exile and is about to be captured by the Assyrians. And at this time, uh, the prophets are, are telling the people, repent of your sins because judgment is coming. And they're like, get out of here, prophets. I don't want to hear you. I, I don't believe anything that you're saying. And sure enough, and you can go read this in the Old Testament, Assyria from the north comes down and conquers Judea and takes not everyone away, but takes many people away into exile. So now both the northern and the southern kingdom of Israel are in exile, and the date is about 730 B.C. You follow me so far? And at 730 B.C., beginning in that moment, most of the Jewish people have been taken out, but not all of them. There are some women and children left behind, and the Assyrians have invaded. And so the Assyrians, doing their pillaging things, started taking all of the Jewish women as wives and having families and having children. And now these children have more children. These children have more children. What you now have is a group of people that they're not Assyrian and they're not Jewish, they're a blending of the two. 
And then if you fast forward from that moment, another, say, about 200 years, give or take, uh, all of the Jews in exile, they, they, they were sent in exile for what? For not following God's commands. And now they're in exile and they're just repenting. They're like, they're in Babylon, they're in Persia, they're all the places that they are. And, and they're sent back home. And when they get home, the temple is destroyed, the cities are gone, everything's burned down. And there's a new group of people that they've never met before. They're called the Samaritans. And they say, who are you? And they say, well, we're you. You're not me. No, we worship Yahweh, the Samaritans would say. We, we worship the one true God. The Assyrians wouldn't have them because they're not Assyrian. And, and they, they identify as followers of Yahweh. If you ask the Samaritan, they follow Abraham. They're sons of Abraham. They're sons of Jacob. They're sons of Isaac. They say, we want to worship Yahweh your way. And the Jews show back up and they say, no, you are not us. And you don't get to pretend to be us. You get out of here. And then as time would roll on, the next few hundred years, the, the country is conquered again and again. The, uh, Alexander the Great goes in and he conquers the place, but you know the people still stay. Now they have to deal with the Greeks. And now by the time Jesus is telling the story, the Greeks, or excuse me, the Romans are in charge with their Caesars and their gods and you have the whole pantheon of things happening. And the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, their, their mindset is the reason why God is letting people conquer us must be because there's still sin around us. That's why we went to exile. This is, this is part of the mindset as to why they were so against Jesus anyways, because they were scared that, that Jesus was going to make God so angry that he's going to like punish them again. And so, and so the Samaritans can't be trusted. We don't, we don't like them. We wish they would just go away. We wish that they wouldn't pretend to be followers of Yahweh, because when they do that, maybe they're making our God mad. Maybe that's why the Romans are here. They had a real twisted view, and their hatred and their anger, we don't have a good parallel for it in America. It was so palpable that they would talk about it in public, and, and nobody would be like, hey, that's rude. You shouldn't talk like that. You would just like, you would have a story. You would tell your kids like boogeyman stories at night, and like, you eat your vegetables or the Samaritans are going to get you. You would say things like that, and, and, and nobody would say that that was wrong. Uh, in the days of Jesus, uh, Israel had, the Jewish uh, people had both the southern and the very northern ends of Israel, but Samaria had like the middle section. They hated the Samaritans so much that they would walk miles and miles through the desert out of the way to go around Samaria just to avoid getting Samaritan dirt on their shoes. They did not like the Samaritans. And so when Jesus tells the story of, quote, the good Samaritan, he is, he is, he is playing to their racism. He's playing to their hatred of one another. And then he tells the story. So let's, let's read it now. So starting again in verse 29, he, the, that man desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man. Uh, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Um, this man doesn't have a name. Uh, I, I'd like to have a name to teach him. Can somebody give me a name for our, our man who's going to have a really bad day? What is it? Steward. I like Stuart. That was so quick. Uh, yeah. So like, she's like, I need a Stuart in this story. I thought she said Gilbert, which would have also been a great name. Stuart. Uh, Stuart is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Uh, to be clear, that's actually going uh, north uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho, but because it's downhill, they say down. This is a well-known traveled route. Um, if you if you lived in the area, you would know that that's just a street you don't go down. This is that street that Kennedy brought me to for the tires. He's like, don't come here by yourself, right? Uh, that's the street from Jerusalem to Jericho. It, it kind of went down into some uh, uh, like crags, I think would be the words, like little caves with like cuts through them. And in there would be all these caves. And in these caves are constantly robbers and burglars. And, you know, they, they just were always there. Uh, it was one of the most dangerous tra traveled routes uh, in the Middle East at the time. And he's saying, 
saying that this guy, he's just going by himself. You wouldn't go by yourself. Your mom would tell you, honey, don't, don't go that road by yourself. You have to go with a group of people so that you don't get hurt, right? It says, this man, he was going down from Jerusalem, uh, excuse me, Stuart, uh, was going down uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. And everybody that heard Jesus say this, well, of course he did. He's by himself. Fell among robbers and stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Stuart is having a worse day than you're having. Can we agree on that? Stuart is just, he's minding his own business, walking this road, and robbers got him, took everything he had, took his clothes off of him, and left him naked on the side of the road in the ditch. Golly, poor Stuart, poor guy. But, you know, good for him, uh, as luck would have it, verse 31, now by chance, a priest was going down the road. Now, um, Stuart, uh, he, he's going to be a Jewish man, just based on this parable, how it would be set up. And if he sees a priest, cha-ching, I'm going to survive. I'm going to make it. He, he peeks up, and there's a priest. Stuart is okay. He feels like he should be okay. The, the priest should be the one who can help him. The priest should be the one who can you know, pull him out of this ditch, maybe hand him some clothes. Sure, the priest has some extra clothes or something. It says, the priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Golly, your, your bad day, Stuart, is just getting worse, isn't it? You're in the ditch. You're like, I'm going to die eventually. Oh, thank goodness, a priest is coming. He's coming right for you. And then at the last second, he makes eye contact with you, and he steps to the other side of the road and just like looks away and pretends to, to not notice you. We, we do that, don't we? When we're, when we're like at a red light and uh, someone, someone's like walking up to our, our car uh, asking for money. I was in Houston uh, a few weeks ago and, and I'm moving down the road. Like I haven't come to a stop yet and a woman has run up and she's asking me for money. She's knocking. And, and like I'm thinking, I don't even know if I should roll my window down. And so I just like eyes forward. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what's, what's about to happen. When, when we're in Walmart and we turn the aisle and there's someone who's like, I don't know. I don't know. They're kind of shady. We, we do what? We pretend we're shopping on on the other side. And we're just like, oh, I'm going to go over here. We're going to walk around. The this, this steward, he's, he's in the ditch, and the priest does what we, it's a natural human tendency, uh, looks at him, and he goes on the other side. Now, if you're the audience uh, hearing this parable for the first time, uh, you may give the priest the benefit of the doubt. You may say things like, well, you know, might have been in a rush. He might not have seen it, even though Jesus says that he saw it. But there's something about being a priest, especially, is that their job is to go into the temple and to do priestly things. And it said that that Stuart was half dead. And if it happens to be that the priest touches a dead body, he's prevented from doing his things. And so if you're the audience, you might give the priest the benefit of the doubt and say, you know, he he could, he, if he touches the body, it might mess him up. So maybe he's going to go get help. Who, who knows? But Jesus says he looks at him. And he passes by on the other side. Verse 32, so likewise, a Levite. Uh, so who, who are the Levites? Uh, short version, the Levites are the group of people that become priests. Okay, so uh, this would be someone who would also like be a priest in training, perhaps. They, they would be the, the group of people that when Stuart saw him, he's like, yes, this guy, he's not doing any priestly job. So he could, like it's a half-dead person. He doesn't have the half-dead excuse to, to not touch Stuart, not to help Stuart. A Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. Both the priest and the Levite saw the problem and said what? Not my problem. I'm going this way. And they kept going. And all the while, this man, who should have known better, who was in a situation that he probably brought upon himself, loses out on hope, loses out on a chance of being saved from that moment. 
And it says, but, verse 33, a Samaritan. And then the lawyer is throwing up in the corner. There's like women in the crowd covering the kid's ears. Like, no, he's not going to do this. He's not going to make the Samaritan the hero. And Jesus kind of grins knowingly. He's like, I got this. And he's going to tell this story about a Samaritan that everybody hates, who does the thing that nobody was willing to do. He says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. He's taking the same walk. He comes to the place where Stuart is. And when he saw him, what's the next sentence? or claws. He had compassion. He looked at this man, Stuart, in his condition and didn't say, not my problem. His heart broke instead. He saw him and he had compassion. Real quick, I'm just going to pause and just, just kind of note something about uh, our boy, the Samaritan. Um, it broke his heart. It didn't break the priest's heart and it didn't break the Levite's heart, but it broke the Samaritan's heart. And one, one phrase that I, I find myself giving a lot when I'm counseling folks or one phrase that like, you know, people are like, I, I feel, I feel led to be a missionary to Indonesia. Well, I don't. So it's interesting to me that you feel that way. You should probably pay attention to the things that break your heart. You know, compassion. Compound word, co, meaning to partner up with. Passion means suffering. He saw Stuart in a suffering, and he felt empathy for him. He felt suffering for this man. Let me ask you, is there anything in this world, anything at all, that is constantly breaking your heart? And you're watching TV, and Sarah McLaughlin comes on, and it's the, you know, the, the song, and you're like, i got to do something for the puppies. It breaks your heart. It doesn't break my heart. Like I feel bad that it happens, but I don't feel led. Some of you, you feel led to. Pay attention to what breaks your heart. Some of you, uh, when you found out that I was a social worker, you're like, I have been wanting to foster kids for the last 20 years. Not everybody does. Pay attention to what breaks your heart. Some of you, you, you drop your kids off at school and, and you see this one kid who the clothes don't quite match up and you know, it's kind of tattered. And for whatever reason, your heart sinks for that kid and it breaks your heart. Pay attention to what breaks your heart because too many times people see the issue. They say, not my problem. They jump on the other side of the street and they get all the escape that they can. Nobody judges them for escaping. But the Samaritan, he sees Stuart, locks eyes with him, and he has compassion. Verse 34, it says, he went to him. He didn't just leave him like in the ditch and say, I'm going to get help. <laughs> I'll be back, Stuart. And he got to, to be honest, like the Levite, uh, the, the priest, we didn't like highlight this, but they're walking up on a, on a naked man. Okay. And so like, there's a lot of like, let's get out of here. The Samaritan's like, I, I've got this. He says that he, uh, he went to him. He bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn. The Samaritan was probably. He's not traveling with like a pack of animals, right? He's got his one animal. Like when you, when you drive to work, how many cars do you drive? Just the one, right? And so if you give somebody else the car, which you have multiple seats, but you give somebody your camel, your donkey, uh, that means you're walking next to it. So he, he's now taking like, uh, he's giving up his freedom to, to help this guy. Takes him to an inn uh, and took care of him. And then so all night, he's just sitting with this guy, tending to his wounds. Verse 35, and the next day he took out two denarii. That's, that's uh, two days worth of wages. So take your, your paycheck. You get paid once a week. Take your paycheck and just cut it into like, you know, a third. And take a third of your paycheck and say, I'm helping this guy with it. That's what this guy just did. Takes two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And so then he looks up at the lawyer after he tells the story. And he says, which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer who was trying to get Jesus in a trap, he's got to be, oh, shucks, he got me. You know, like, you know, checkmate Jesus. Uh, he said to him, 
the one who showed him mercy. Couldn't even say the word Samaritan. <laughs> he, he, like, he wouldn't let the word come out of his mouth. He's the, the, the one who showed him mercy, I think, Jesus. Yes, that's right. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. He just told that man, hey, the hero in the story is the person you hate the most, but he showed mercy where you wouldn't. Go be like the, the, the enemy that you hate. Go and be like the Samaritan. Go and do likewise. What, what did the Samaritan do that was so noteworthy and that we may should want to replicate? He saw him. He looked at Stuart in his condition, in his pitiful state. And he didn't just say, Stuart, you put yourself there. You should have had a friend. You should have had some people. That's your own dang fault, Stuart. He didn't. He saw him and he had compassion with him. His heart broke. And not just like my heart broke. Oh, I need to pray for him and walk away. His heart broke and then he walked to him. He goes to Stuart in his condition and he tended to him out of his own expense. He poured his oil, his wine, his, his treatment came out of his own expense to serve uh, Stuart. And then, then he gave the, the weak Stuart his high place, his seat on the animal. He ensured his safety. He protected Stuart until he got to the next place. He paid for Stuart's care at the end, and he told the innkeeper, I'll pay even more if it takes more. I'm going to make sure you're taken care of. And then he left with a follow-up plan. Anybody is in a service industry, there is a very interesting end to the story, is that the Samaritan didn't just follow Stuart for the rest of his life like a co-enabler trying to mend every need he has. He met him in his weakness, served the immediate need, and left a follow-up plan and then exited out the back. As a recovering social worker, I didn't always know how to exit out the back of somebody's story. I was always stuck and over-performing over, uh, uh, for them. Jesus says, go and be like this Samaritan. So here's how I want to close. Uh, just highlighting this. And next week, we're going to look into the love God with every aspect of your life. But, but this go and do likewise has covered every piece of the gospel tune-ups that we've, that we've talked about and. I just, I just want to say that, that a faithful follower of Jesus uh, must refuse all of the labels and categories used to divide people. We live in a culture that loves to divide us up into little camps. Like, what, what would it look like if, if the Samaritan, if Jesus was telling the story and he's like, oh no, it was Nancy Pelosi. Uh, that's who came and tended to his wounds. Well, yeah, you know, these labels, these Democrat, Republican labels that are used to divide you, who you're voting for, what, what color skin you have, all of that. We should, as Christians and followers of Jesus, refuse those labels outright. Don't walk in them. Don't teach them. We recognize the image of God in the person sitting across from us, even when they're not like us in other ways. Why? Because, because suffering is suffering. Even if they put themselves in that, suffering is suffering. So as a question to you, when Jesus says, go and do likewise, as a question to you, what can you do this week uh, to step into the life of someone from a different category than you? To step into the life of someone that is weaker than you? To step into the category of someone who is currently suffering? What can you do to step into that life and to mend them, to tend to them, and in so doing, uh, love them the way that Jesus has set out here? Let me pray. Uh, and then we will watch the queue. Father, uh, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the, um, uh, your, your willingness uh, to, to not deal with the, the narratives of the day, to not, to not live in them, not to excuse them, but to blow them out of the water. Father, help us to also do the same. Help us to, to blow up the narratives that surround the different categories of our life. Help us to love like you've instructed us to love. Help us to love as you've given an example of. Help us to, to first love ourselves, to forgive ourselves, to walk in that truth. Um, 
and help us, uh, Lord, to, to have eyes to see the needs of those around us. Father, if that means that we need to slow down, if that means that we need less busyness in our life, then Lord, help us with that. Um, but as we, as we have eyes to see, break our heart for the things that break your heart uh, and help us to show up in people's lives uh, when they need it. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.